and for that we give thanks. It's good to be back with you today. Family's been on vacation doing a lot of family time, and it's been really wonderful, but it is always good to be back with our church family. And we're continuing in a series through uh, our scripture reading plan, and we find ourselves in the story of Exodus. And I've taken a little bit of our reading coming up in the next few days to talk about a block of scripture in Exodus where God is shaping and forming his people. And we're going to see a big part of that shaping and forming comes in the Sabbath. A day of rest for the Jews, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And here we're going to read God's commands once again out of the book of Exodus chapter 31. I invite you to turn over there with me. And we're going to pick up in verse 12. Exodus chapter 31, starting in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is the day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. You hear there God repeating what he has said. Not because he forgot, but so that we will not. To let us know the importance of his word. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We do have kingdom kids today. So any kiddos who are second grade, are uh, four-year-olds through second grade, they have a chance to worship and learn at their level next door in our education building where they can be picked up after the service today. You have to forgive me, I'm a little stuffy. I feel totally fine otherwise, but how many of you are dealing with allergies right now too? Okay, so we're in good company. Pass around the, the Zyrtex, the tissues, and we'll be all right. But, so I apologize for being a little bit stuffy, but all is well. <clears throat> well, like I said, we're covering uh, a little bit larger uh, portion of Scripture today. We're going to take a look at Exodus 20. Well, we're looking at a lot, but primarily Exodus 20 through Exodus 31. Why? Well, because this is a formative period for God's people. God is shaping them, forming them into who they will be. And as a parent of four kiddos myself, I can't help but think about the, the role that God has, has given me, just as he's given many of you as parents, as fathers, as, as mothers, to shape those kiddos who will then, in turn, shape their own kids. It's kind of it's a weighty task. It's a, it's a big deal. 
It can feel at times impossible. And I thought about just the impact we have on our children. My kids are loud. Uh, They're loud uh, most of the time, right? Yes. And I will catch myself yelling at them to be quiet. Now, what am I doing? I am shaping and forming them to be loud even as I'm telling them to be quiet. Everything I do and say has some shaping and forming role in their life. And there is a period in their life as they are young where that work is especially important. Well, Israelite is up against such a period. If you know the story of the Israelites, uh, it began really with Father Abraham. We call him Father Abraham for a reason. God told him, look, I'm choosing you. And from you, there's going to be a lot of people. I'm going to create a whole nation out of you. And from that nation, I'm going to bless the whole world. This is all coming out of Genesis chapter 12. That's where it begins. And God says, from one person that will come from your family lineage, a seed of yours, through him, I will bless the whole world. So everything God is doing is to shape and form a people. And from that people, one will come who will be the source of blessing for the entire world. And who is that person? None other than Jesus himself, who comes from the line of David, who comes from the family of Abraham. So God is taking these people, these, these Israelites, and he is shaping and forming them into the people he needs them to be so that they can carry out their role of being a source of blessing for the entire world. And as the story goes on, we find that the Israelites, through circumstances that uh, are in some ways beyond their control, they, they find themselves in slavery in Egypt. And God raises up one of these Israelites, Moses, to deliver them from slavery into a promised land where they can be fruitful and multiply so that they can become that great nation from whom one would come as the source of blessing for the entire world, Jesus himself. So we find ourselves in this story after the exodus from Egypt, out of slavery, but before they could enter into the promised land, they have this wilderness experience. And during this wilderness experience, God is shaping, he is forming them into the people they are to become. And as a parent, I take a lot of great comfort in knowing that even for God, it was a tough go. It was challenging. They didn't always listen. They didn't always pay attention. They sometimes did exactly what they were told not to do. And God, as a perfect parent, shaping and forming them, had his troubles with them, but he did not give up on them. And what we find in the middle of this Exodus story, they have left Egypt. They have not yet entered into the promised land. Is What does God do in this shaping and forming? How does he go about it? There's three things that God does to shape and form them that would be helpful for us to pay attention to. The first one I've already mentioned, which is he's given them a mission in the world. He's letting them know through you, I'm going to bless the world. But he says, I'm going to be with you throughout this. I'm not asking you to go out there and do it on your own. Just as I said just as we read in scripture, just as we sang in song, and just as I said before the scripture reading a moment ago, we come to God poor and needy. We need his help. 
God knows that. He knows we are but dust, Scripture says. He knows we come to Him frail, powerless. And so God says, in this whole shaping and forming, creating you to be the people I've called you to be, you're not going to do that on your own. I'm going to be there. I've given you a mission in this world, and it's an important one, and you're not, it's not up to you. I'm, I'm going to be with you. Exodus 29, a few chapters prior, verses 45 and 46, God says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. How does God shape and form us? He gives us purpose, just as he did the Israelites. He makes sure that we know that we don't fulfill that purpose on our own, but he goes with us. And the third and final thing, which is where I want to camp out, is God tells us what he expects of us. Now, we may look at that and see if you've been doing the Bible reading with us. And if you haven't, I encourage you to jump in. If you pick up, there's a Bible reading plan on the table in the foyer as you exit. It's got a, a baby blue cover on it. Just take one of those. Uh, if you go to fbckennedy.org slash Bible, you can download it if you rather have a PDF version. You're a few months behind, but don't sweat it. Just pick up on today's reading and get caught up as you can. Okay, it's just three chapters a day. It won't take you that long to get caught up. But if you've been reading, you've seen uh, some interesting things in the Old Testament that maybe you've read before, maybe you haven't. Some interesting rules and laws. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail too far, but I just want to point out the grace of God in that. You know what we need? We need to know what God expects. Wouldn't it be cruel and unfair if God didn't tell us what he expects of us? But in his gracious kindness, he lets us know, here's what I expect of you. Here's who I am. Here's who I'm calling you to be. Here's how we're going to relate to each other. And so you have a whole lot of rules and some kind of interesting stuff happening in this portion of Exodus. We'll find throughout the Old Testament things about what to eat, what to wear, what not to eat, what not to wear. In this portion, you find a lot about the structure in which God calls them to build a tabernacle. I'm going to meet with you in that tabernacle. You're going to worship me there. Here's how I want you to build it. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's the stuff you're going to put in there to be a part of your, of your worship experience. Here's some important things for you to know about how I want you to relate to each other. You have found, as you have read, a lot of stuff about how, how do we live together as the Israelites. How would they treat one another? But the thing I want to land on uh, today that I think is more important than we may realize is that God, and this is a kind of a neat thing. I'm going to go, let me kind of come around it from the side. But this kind of a neat thing is that God says there are days that are important to us. In your, create, in your formation, there are going to be days that are important to you. We were having this discussion in our small group this morning about birthdays. Because Jackson has his 13th birthday today. I don't think he mind me pointing that out. And we were talking about as we grow up, did you have birthdays? You know. Did you, uh, or, or did you, do, was it a big deal in your family to celebrate birthdays? Of course you had birthdays. Uh, but was it a big deal when you got together? Did you have a big deal? And, and we were just kind of talking through that. What's it, what's it like as a family? And for some families, b- birthdays are a big deal. How many of you, you grew up in a family where birthday was a big deal? How many of you? Several of you. Okay. How many of you grew up in birthday? Not such a big deal. 
The rest of us, okay, okay, all right. And then maybe a few of you, you just slept through your birthdays. I don't know. But Christmas might be a huge deal in your family. New Year's might be a huge deal in your family. Some of these days may be no big deal. But there's something important. It, it doesn't really necessarily matter the day so much, but just that your family has a rhythm. You have, you have things that you have figured out that these are important days for us to celebrate together. You know, that's happening in the Bible. God says there's days that are going to be celebrative. You're going to have some national holidays in Israel that are going to be wonderful celebrations of my faithfulness to you, my provision to you. There's going to be important days where you renew yourself before me. There's going to be important days where you worship. So they have stuff on the calendar. They put stuff on the calendar. But there was no day that seems more important just based on the fact that it's repeated many times than the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was... An incredibly important day for Israel. It was rooted in creation. If you know the creation story, you remember six days God created the earth, the universe, all that's in it, filled it up. And what did he do on the seventh day? On the seventh day, he what? Rested, right? On the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing, Genesis 2, verse 2. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Holy, in this sense, means he set it apart as something different and special. So he set apart the Sabbath day as holy because on it he rested from the work of creating that he had done. Now, God will repeat the importance of Sabbath throughout the Old Testament. We're going to get to the New Testament here in a little bit and talk about how Jesus understood, interpreted Sabbath and how we can participate in keeping a kind of Sabbath that would be pleasing to God without being legalistic. We're going to get there. But I want to start with understanding how God explained the Sabbath to his people Israel because it played an important part of their life. Not only rooted in creation, but by the very fact that they were slaves in Egypt, where no day did they rest. Every day did they work. Now they're coming out of that every day is a work day, forced labor. They're going to become their own people now, out of slavery, into the promised land. God is shaping and forming them for that future. By telling them, reminding them of the importance of Sabbath rooted in creation. But a part of the continuing formation of God's people. You remember, this, you remember uh, reading about manna in Exodus? Some of you may have heard that story before. They, the, they leave Egypt, slavery. They're out in the wilderness. They need food to eat. They start to grumble and complain. As we, we mentioned this in small group too, they were hangry. They were hungry, angry, combine those together. We've all experienced it. Some of you are experiencing it right now. Don't worry, the potluck's coming. Just hang in there for a little bit longer. And God provides for them in this miraculous way, this wafer-like substance formed on the ground. And when they woke up, they could take enough food for today and only today. And that would be part of their provisions and the scripture said, none that took too much had too much. None that took too little had too little. Everybody had enough. 
But God said on the sixth day, I want you to take twice as much because on the seventh day, it's a day of rest, Sabbath rest. And you're not to go out and gather manna or any food on the Sabbath day because I want you to rest. Now, the interesting thing is, see, they'd already tried that. As soon as manna started showing up, what did they do? They gathered more than they needed for a day. They said, let's get as much as we can get, you know. It's like me at the supermarket in the cereal aisle. It's like, can, do they make bigger bags than this 48-ounce bag? I mean, I'm try, trying to find it. Two bags of cereal, it's just not enough, you know. You just get as much as you can, right? And they would do that. And what, if you remember the story, you know what happened. They ate what they needed to eat for today. And the next day, it went bad. Had maggots in it. It was pretty gross, kind of disgusting. You don't want to eat that. God made sure they didn't want to eat that. So they'd have to toss it out. But miraculously, God allowed the provisions they gathered on the sixth day for the seventh day to last. And so they enjoyed the food God had provided for them on the sixth day, on their day of rest. And God says these words to them. Bear in mind, or or Moses says these words to them. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread, manna, for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. And Exodus 16.30 says, so the people rested on the seventh day. Fast forward a little bit to Exodus 20. And last week, uh, Kevin Meilenberg, our director of missions for our Gambrel Baptist Association, I went back and listened to his sermon and uh, y'all were blessed. Hey, if you didn't listen to that, if you weren't here for that, just go to the website, click on the sermons tab. Um, Taylor's got it posted there. Go, go and listen to that because it, it was a really wonderful sermon. And he covered the Ten Commandments. One of those commandments, actually it's probably the one with the most words in it, is the commandments on the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Remember, setting apart. Making it special. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, your male or female servants or your animals, any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. On the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So now in the book of Exodus, at least, we have two references to the importance of the Sabbath. Sabbath laws are also mentioned in Exodus 23, verse 13. Six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox, your donkey may rest. Those born in your household, the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. And then we get to what we read today. Let's skip that for a second. In Exodus 31, another reference that we read earlier. We'll skip ahead for a second to Exodus 34. God makes this point. In Exodus 34, 21, he says, Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing season and the harvest season. You must rest. What is he saying? Yes, life will get busy. You got to till the ground. You got to plant the seed. Yes, a time will come where those crops will rise up out of the ground and you've got to harvest them. But even in those busy seasons, on the Sabbath day, you are to rest. Now, we're going to get into this next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the challenges God's people had in being faithful to God in the wilderness. 
which is why they had to end up wandering around the wilderness for so long. It starts right there, two-thirds or so of the way through Exodus. After this incident where they make a golden calf to worship the calf, God gives them these words through Moses. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, this is Exodus 35, the first three verses. These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. I'm reading you a lot here, but I want you to get the point. Sabbath is mentioned over and over and over again. It became incredibly important to the life of Israel. Along the way, it caught on. And particularly the Pharisees, which is a religious sect among the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they believed if you could keep the whole, if you could, if, if everyone, if all of God's people, all the Israelites, if you could keep the Sabbath perfectly for one whole day, again, sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday, if you could keep the Sabbath perfectly for one whole day, if all of Israel could do that, God would come. He would set up his eternal kingdom here on earth. If we could just do this, one, if we could just get this one thing right, it's kind of incredible, but that, that became how important it was. I don't need them to tell me that because it actually tells us in Scripture how important it is. God said, going back to what we read earlier in Exodus 31, God said, if anyone does not keep the Sabbath, it is a capital offense. I've read that over many times. I've even talked to it with pastor friends of mine. Just Why would keeping the Sabbath, resting, ceasing from work, worshiping God, why would that be so important? So important that if you broke the Sabbath law, God said you were to be put to death. Just understanding the importance of that, you, you get the picture when Jesus comes along and, and he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath is made for man. Man is not made for the Sabbath. When Jesus comes along and he heals on the Sabbath and he picks grain or his disciples pick grain on the Sabbath, it causes a huge uproar. So one of the reasons the religious elite didn't like Jesus is because he kind of thumbed his nose at their understanding of Sabbath rules and laws. But their understanding of Sabbath rules and laws didn't come from nowhere. They at least had some something right about it that this was important to God. Now again, uh, wasn't unimportant to Jesus. It's just Jesus understood it in a fuller manner than they did. And we're going to talk about that at the end of the message. But why? Why would Sabbath be so important to shaping and forming God's community? Why would Sabbath keeping be so important that if you violate it, it could end your life? Why would God say that this is an incredibly important part of our life together, me and you, God and his people? Because Sabbath was a sign that God is God And we are not. The Israelites were called to trust God to do his work, to provide for them, even while they were at rest, to trust that God was at work on their behalf. 
Sabbath was an opportunity to recognize their human limitations in the presence of one who was limitless. So that when they were working without ceasing, filling up every moment of every day with activity, making no room for God, taking no rest in God, ignoring God's beauty, not taking delight in God, what they were effectively saying is, God, we don't really need you. We've got this. It's all under control. For them to violate Sabbath was to say to God, you are not God, I am God. You're not in control, I'm in control. We don't rely on you, we rely on ourselves. You don't sit on the throne, we sit on the throne. That's what they were saying. And when I understand it like that, I get why God said this is a big deal. This is a visible, tangible experience every week in which you are to set aside your time unto me. To say to yourself and to the world around you, especially coming out of Egypt, where every day was a work day, to come out of that life and to say, no, no, no. We, we, we were not created to live this way. We were created to live in the obedience of God. And therefore, Sabbath was actually the first day of the week, not the last. It wasn't a day of the week after a long, hard week so that you could recover. It was a day of the week to prepare yourself to enter into the week so that you could be fully present and aware of God as you go about everyday tasks. That you would enter into the week knowing that this day is God's. I've prepared myself on Sabbath day so that on the next day I live as if this day is God's because it is. Now, what does that mean for us? That's, that's kind of the big question. What does it mean for us? I think we have to understand the whole of Scripture. We can't just stop at the end of the Old Testament in our understanding of Sabbath. We have to get into the New Testament to get a fuller picture of the Sabbath. So much of what we're going to see, particularly in Exodus, these are shadows of things that will, will be fulfilled in Christ. From the tabernacle to the priest to the sacrificial system to the Sabbath, these are things that are shadowing Christ. What is God doing? He is planting seeds in the Old Testament that will come to fruition in the New Testament. It's like when you're watching a movie. You see the foreshadowing, right? You can just kind of tell. If you really love movies, you really get into it, you're really paying attention. You see something happen. They say something. They do something. There's something on a bookshelf. And you're like, that's going to mean something later. It's just a little window, a little picture of what is to come. And then that moment comes and you're like, oh yeah, I knew that, right? You get all excited, right? So much of the Old Testament is foreshadowing what is to come. That God is planting seeds that will grow. That God is painting the borders of a picture that in Christ becomes complete. And the Sabbath is absolutely no different than that. So when Jesus comes along, he is fulfilling Sabbath rest. I don't want to jump into that too soon because I want to talk about what it might mean for us. Because he fulfills it, here's the point, because he fulfills it, we do not have to religiously observe the Sabbath 
in some kind of pharisaical way. We don't have to come up with a bunch of rules and laws and say, this is how we observe Sabbath. It must be sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday. We must not be able to work. We cannot turn on lights in our house. We cannot cook or clean up. There's a whole list of all these things. We cannot do any of that. We have to, we have to observe Sabbath in its original form as seen not only through the Old Testament, but through those who interpreted the Old Testament, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. We got all these rules, all these rituals. We, gotta, we, gotta, we have to follow all this stuff when it comes to Sabbath. What we find Jesus doing in the New Testament, and what we find Paul saying in the New Testament, is Jesus fulfilled that. You don't have to fulfill that. Jesus did that for you. You don't have to do that anymore. So how do we put this together? Because you still have Old Testament laws we should fulfill like a lot of the Ten Commandments. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. That's good stuff. Obey your parents. One of my favorites. Right? So you still got this. So one of the ways over the years we've understood laws in the Old Testament is to differentiate and say, well, there's some, you know, ceremonial laws. They have to do with sacrifices and it has to do with special days. It has to do with something like Sabbath. And then there are moral laws about how we treat each other and how we, how we uh, uh, respond to God and, you know, like, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet, all that kind of stuff. And it gets a little confusing. It's a little hard to kind of put all that together. But it's clear from the New Testament when Paul says there that he says, be sensitive to one another. There's going to be people coming out of Judaism that still hold to these religious festivals, these special holidays and Sabbath. Be sensitive to them. But you know what? In Christ, he's fulfilled it. All days are the same. So what I take from that is there's something good and important about Sabbath, but we don't have to observe it religiously. There's something positive that comes from us observing something like the Sabbath. Now, throughout church history, where we have come is that instead of sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the day of worship unto God has been Sunday. Why Sunday? Because Jesus was crucified on Friday and he rose from the dead on Sunday. Uh, That being the case, Christians would gather to worship God on Sunday because that was the day of resurrection of Christ. Even John, one of Jesus' disciples, he's left on an island and basically imprisoned there to die because of his testimony about Jesus. Even on the Sabbath day as he is by himself, he gets ready and he worships on the, on the Lord's Day, excuse me, on Sunday. So it's not one for one parallel. Sabbath in the Old Testament is not the same thing as the Lord's Day or Sunday in the New Testament. But there's some overlap. There's some important things that I hate for us to leave behind because it was so formative for them in the Old Testament that there's something about that that's formative for us in the New Testament. Something we can embrace there that I think is beneficial to our life with God. That if we do that in the right spirit, it doesn't have to be a legalistic thing. It actually is something that adds to our life, even if it may restrict some activity in our life. Okay. So here's kind of what I want to suggest to you. That you find time to set aside, to spend with God, that is not interrupted with the normal hustle and bustle of life. Sabbath was meant to be a stoppage of work. Can you find time to set aside, to stop all work, paid, unpaid, to focus on God? Now, for them, it was 24 hours. 
I will tell you how I have, this uh, practice kind of started for me uh, during the sabbatical last summer. I've tried to continue it. Uh, It's hit or miss, but uh, more often than not, I will cease work sometime around Thursday afternoon when I get off work to Friday afternoon when the kids get home from school. And I try to just enjoy that 24-hour period. Usually it's a lot shorter than 24 hours when you got kids. Uh, Usually it's like when the kids go to bed Thursday night through Friday until they get home from school. And I try to just stop working. Try to stop checking emails, responding to text messages as much as possible. Try to um, not do a whole bunch of honey-do list stuff. Save that for another time. Again, I'm not doing this perfectly, but it is hit or miss. But I got to tell you, on the days I'm doing these things, it is an incredible blessing to have a block of time where I stop paid and unpaid work. Well, what do you do during that time? You enjoy God. You remember, you're not God. He's God. You remember, He provides. It's not all up to you. You worship Him. You may sing songs. You may enjoy worship music. You may read and meditate scripture. Think on it deeply. Really study it. You may just spend long periods of time in prayer. One of my favorite things to do is to just go out in nature and be around what God has created. To stay in touch with the world that he has made that is, that is a blessing to us, right? I don't think there's a cookie cutter way... To enjoy the presence of God, but do you know what yours is? Do you know how you feel connected to God? You may want to listen to your favorite preacher and uh, get, get the message on YouTube or iTunes or something like that. And, and, and you want to listen to a sermon that day. There's, a, there's, a, there's almost no end to the ways you can enjoy God. Because God is, not without, or God is without end. But do you know how you enjoy the presence of God? Do you know when you feel close to him? If you can set aside a block of time, it doesn't have to be 24 hours, maybe six hours, eight hours, maybe four hours, whatever you can figure out for your life. If you can set aside a block of time, the first most important thing is that block of time is meant to be a time where you are not working. At home, on the job, you have a set of time where you can just spend not working. What will you do? You spend time with God. You enjoy the, the presence of God. So you stop working. That's the first thing. If you're going to practice the Sabbath break each week, set aside a block of time, you're going to stop working. You're going to enjoy the presence of God. There's a variety of ways to do that. By the way, if you don't know, you're like, well, how do I figure I'd love to visit with you more and share more and, and talk about that with you. The third thing is just to enjoy the blessings God has given you. Uh, to delight in not only God's face, His presence, his relationship, that's the most important thing. But also to enjoy his hand, what he provides, what he gives you. Uh, So like my very best um, Sabbath experiences has been when I wake up in the morning, get the kids off to school, I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm listening to worship music, I'm singing, I'm I'm playing the guitar. Uh, Somewhere in there, um, you know, get showered and dressed, and Marsh and I will go out for lunch somewhere that we really enjoy. And then we come home, and then I take a nap. That is like perfect. That is my Sabbath. If I can do that every Friday, and I don't get it every Friday, but if I can do that every Friday, my goodness, I am so much better off. 
What is it? What would it look like for you to stop working, paid and unpaid, for a set period of time where you are going to enjoy God's presence? You're going to think through, how do I experience the love of God in my life? I want to make sure that that is present in my Sabbath experience. And then... What are the good things God's given me? That I just I want to take my wife out, I want to take my I want to take my husband out, I want to take that nap, you know, something, maybe painting, maybe yard work, something that you just enjoy. You just really you're thankful God has placed that in your life and you want to enjoy that thing. Maybe a movie, whatever it is. And what that does is it it gets it gets to the heart of what Sabbath is, which is it's meant to be a reminder God is God, and you are not. God is the source of all good things, and he provides them to you if you'll reach out and receive them. God is at work when you are at rest. God can be trusted with all of your life. Now, when you get to the New Testament, as I said earlier, Jesus is the fulfillment of this Sabbath. That's why we don't have to religiously observe it in some stringent way. Because ultimately, Sabbath is about recognizing the only rest I can really receive in life is the rest I find in God. So much of life can be striving without ceasing. Trying to fulfill some mandate. Trying to reach some goal. Trying to be somebody. To have something. Striving. And in that restless state, when I find that God is enough, my soul rests. In his confessions, Augustine wrote it like this, Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. You being God. And that is true. That's why we... That's why the Jewish people needed that Sabbath rest. Instead of anxiously searching, looking for what could fulfill them, being in charge of their own life, looking to themselves to meet all their needs. When they look to God and see that He is enough, they can rest. God is enough. I can rest. God is at work. I can rest. God knows me. He sees me. He loves me. I can rest in that. There's a book in the New Testament called Hebrews. I want to end with this. In Hebrews, the writer is explaining to them, this rest you're searching for comes by faith in the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus. He says in Hebrews 3, 19, they, those who are unbelieving, are not able to enter into rest. But in Hebrews 4, 9, he says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest. What is he talking about? He's saying there is rest in Jesus from your labor, from your worry. There is rest in Jesus, and if you'll place your faith in him, you will have the rest that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament through the Sabbath. Because i got to tell you, so much of my struggle over the years to, to take, a time, take, take a time out. I've, I meet with pastors, I visit with them, I have a lot of pastor friends. It is not uncommon that many of them will not take a day off. 
that would just work every day of the week, every week. I have identified with that. Marsha can attest to that. That has been my mode of operating for far, far too long. Kind of led me to the point where I had to have that uh, sabbatical break and recalibrate my life because I had let that go on too long. And in the middle of that, I, you know, you start to realize, well, why would I do that? Why would I work every day and not take it? Well, if, if people call me and I don't answer, they'll think I'm a bad pastor. You know. Everybody else is working on this day. I should be working on this day, too. I've got to, I've got to keep up with them. You know. uh, I really want to get this done. Uh, this is important to the success of our church. And so, uh, you know, there's just not enough time in the week. So I've got to work on this day to get this stuff done. I'm living like the Israelites did. I am not trusting God. My heart is not at rest in him. He is not enough. I've got to do this other stuff too. Now that's my life. You got your own life. Sabbath may be hard for you because you've filled it up with too much. There is no space for God. You said yes to too many things. Now listen, I identify I hope God doesn't have to bring you to the edge of burnout to help you figure out that, okay, you got to go back and start saying no to some stuff because you got to make room for God. Or there may be some internal things that, that just well up in you that, that, that drive you to work all the time. And there needs to be a rest for your soul in God. Work is a good thing. I enjoy work. I enjoy ministry. It is, a, it is a blessing. There's a reason we do that six days. Rest is not to be the norm. It is to be preparatory for the other six days. It's supposed to be one day, and then you got the other six days of laboring in the Lord, which is a good thing. But good things that become God things become bad things. When work becomes, whether it's paid or unpaid, becomes your God, and you are not resting in Jesus in some practical way in your life, then you have worshipped something that is not God. Something good that came from God that's worshipped as God is not God. It's a bad becomes a bad thing. So what does it look like for you to find a rhythm to your life that honors that need you have to rest in the Lord to remind you that in Jesus, all of that stuff that wells up in you that may drive you to work more than you should, in Jesus it's fulfilled. That he is enough. And when you see that, how does that work out practically in your life that you may be able to take a pause at some point during your week to just enjoy the presence of God, remembering that he is God and we are not? What does that look like? Let's think and pray about that together. As we wrap up today, would you pray with me? God, the most wonderful thing you've ever given us is your son, Jesus. Without him, Father, we are striving to please ourselves. We are striving to please other people. We are striving to please you. Our souls are restless without him. But in him, may we find rest that only he can give. Because in him we find that we are enough, not on the basis of what we have done, but because he is enough for us. May that be the song of our hearts, 
that free us from the tyranny of a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week work week that pull us away from you. That work can have its proper place as a good thing, but it doesn't become for us a God thing. Help us to rest in you because we trust you to be enough for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.